90s, online I read about, is that there's water inside each one of these things, and it creates a level in front of your eyes. And so as the world, so when you're driving in the car, and trees are flying by, and cars are going by, and everything is moving around you, and it's flying by, and your eyes are seeing stuff moving, but your ears are saying, no, I'm not moving, and everything should be the same because I'm sitting in this vehicle, and, and I'm not moving. And so they, they think that there's some disconnect between your eyes and your ears, and you get nauseous because of that. And these are supposed to help give you uh, a level view. So everything you see right now, like you guys look hilarious through these. So as I look through these, you know, everything has this level to it. As we begin talking about a worldview, probably until advance, until July this year, we're going to be doing this worldview series. Maybe beyond, we'll see. But a worldview is like a pair of glasses that we, ha we always have on. It, it affects everything we see around us. It affects how we interpret the world around us. It affects how we react to the world around us. It, it, it affects how we think about statements that we hear in the news or from other people. All the time, people are making comments that come from how they view the world. And I want to, hopefully this year, equip you guys to think about the world in a way that honors God, in a way that reflects what Scripture teaches us. A worldview asks fundamental questions like, why are we here? Where did we come from? What is the purpose of our life? Is there a God? Is there a difference between right and wrong? How do we know what the difference is? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? How do we get answers to what we're created to do? Are we created? What are we supposed to do with our lives? All these things we answer from our worldview. Our worldview gives us a basic map to understand how to think and live. It tells us how to respond to thousands of scenarios and questions we face through our lifetime. It gives us a pattern to understand things. And Scripture has a clear call on your life as Christians to have a Christian worldview. This is what Romans 12:2 says. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The goal of this series is really to have a renewed mind that we would discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. And to do that, we have to begin with God. Our worldview as Christians has to begin with how we think about God. And I know that that might sound obvious to you, but that is not the basic starting place of our culture anymore. Every person has to answer some basic questions that, that influence what you believe. Questions about where we come from and why we're here. Every major religion, every worldview has to answer these questions. So Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and Shintoism and Confucianism, even atheists who don't believe there is a God, have a basic set of beliefs about the cause 
and nature and purpose of our lives and the universe. They have a worldview. They have to answer the question, how did we get here? Where did we come from? And what is the purpose of our lives? And I'm going to tell you what their answer is to that in a moment. But as Christians, where we begin, the very first words of the Bible give us the beginning of a Christian worldview. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything existed, before there was matter and planets and air and people, there was God. And we believe he is the source and the sustainer of everything. And that one simple fact, answering that question, is there a God, is the first step in a hundred other decisions you're going to make about what you think about this world. And the Bible begins with this Christian worldview of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just knowing that one simple fact transforms how we view our world. And today, what I've seen as I've taught uh, worldview to some of the high school students here, hopefully we'll do that in a couple years again, but there's two really leading worldview beliefs to where we come from that oppose our view of God. And you're going to see these all over the place, okay? So I want you to understand these two kind of opposing views of where we came from. The first leading worldview I think you'll see a lot in the world today is naturalism. Okay, naturalism, there's a definition of it up here for you. Naturalism is the belief that all phenomena can be explained in terms of natural causes, okay? Uh, some people call this materialism. So kind of believing that the only thing that exists in this world is material things. The material world is all that exists. So an easy way to remember this is naturalism denies anything that is supernatural, okay? They, they only can confirm what they see and, and sense and what they can prove. And so they deny anything supernatural. So they reject anything outside of what we can see and analyze and observe. So they reject the notion that we have a soul or a spirit. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with the new Pixar movie, Soul, but there is a sense where the, the, at least the movie admits that there's more to us than just this material world. There's something deeper going on. We have a soul. We have a spirit. We have purpose. It's addressing some of those things. They reject. Naturalism rejects the idea of a soul. It rejects God. It rejects the idea of Satan and demons and angels. It rejects heaven and hell or anything after death. And it's important to know about naturalism because it's probably the leading worldview in most of our universities and colleges. Unless they're a Christian college, most of the professors are going to come from a naturalist worldview where they're not going to believe in God or that you have a soul or heaven and hell. But naturalists, like all worldviews, they have to answer this question, where did we come from why are we here? And so, of course, as naturalists, they look for any kind of natural explanations for that. And the answer they have come up with is, of course, evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Since they have a lens that they have to say there has to be some natural scientific explanation for how we became human beings. And so their answer is the Big Bang Theory and evolution. If you never heard about the Big Bang Theory, 
I'm going to do it in like 30 seconds. It's very fast. So, the Big Bang Theory is a theory that says that the entire universe, the entire universe, okay, galaxies, planets, solar systems, everything was contained in an infinitely small, dense mass called a singularity. Okay, so the whole universe is in this tiny, tiny, you can't even see with your visible eye mass. That's where it starts. This tiny mass mysteriously, we don't know why, suddenly explodes. And that tiny mass explodes and it begins to cool as it spreads out. And the law of gravity, which was contained in that tiny mass, they say, caused all these different atoms to begin forming together into circular planets and stars and solar systems. And the Big Bang Theory says that on one of these solar systems over billions of years, one of these planets had the perfect ingredients to create water on the surface of the planet. And then it states that inside of that water, down deep inside of the water, there was this mysterious chemical reaction that formed the beginning of life. And then from that mysterious chemical reaction, this life evolved into a living fish and other objects, other animals with lungs and brain and eyes and blood and a nervous system. And then those evolved into everything you see in the world today. And that is the leading explanation from naturalists on where we came from. And I remember showing a Big Bang video from the History Channel to my worldview class. I don't know if you guys remember that. But I told them, it's like a four-minute video. And I said, just mark how many times they use the word in this four-minute video about the Big Bang Theory. The word somehow, mysteriously, magically, you know, miraculously. It just over and over, somehow... This thing exploded and miraculously life was formed, you know. And I just, if you think about the Big Bang Theory, that everything we see in the whole universe was contained in this tiny dot. You have to understand that to believe this takes a huge leap of faith. Because naturalists are going to make you think, this is scientific and we have evidence for this. And you look at, you think about that and you think, that is, that takes a lot of faith. To believe that all these things came together to form life. I mean, for everything to be perfect. I'm going to show you this quote from Francis Collins in a minute. But it takes faith to believe what they believe because they can't prove it scientifically. Because science is all about recreating something so you can see evidence for it. We can't recreate the Big Bang or the beginning of life mysteriously in the bottom of the ocean. It is, requires faith to believe that all of this came from a small point. And the implications of a naturalist worldview is because of what they believe, they believe that we, they believe that you are cosmic accidents. I heard one author refer to naturalism as spiritual barrenness. I think that's a good description of it. In naturalism, uh, there's no ethics, there's no moral accountability, there's no right and wrong, there's no hope for humanity. There is no meaning or purpose because we, according to their view, are cosmic accidents. We have no reason to be here, just accidental. Now, as Christians, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And we believe what Romans 1 tells us 
in verses 19 through 20. Romans 1 verses 19 through 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean we look around us and it screams, creation screams, there is a creator. There is purpose. There is intention. There is meaning behind everything we see. You know, nothing in nature goes from chaos into order. Everything goes the other way, from order into chaos. But their view is that this whole universe from this tiny point accidentally explodes and all this order comes out of that. That is, it takes a large leap of faith to believe that as Christians, we look at God's word and we say, no, God did this. I mean, it's the starting point. It's the first step in what we believe. God did this. God created you. God made everything. He's the one who designed all of this. Just imagine, okay, that you are hiking with your family in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and you round a hill and stop in your tracks as you see this picture right here, okay? Four giant faces carved into stone, each head as tall as a six-story building, and they look exactly like four presidents, Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. And you ask yourself, you know, I have to figure out, like, how did they get there? What conclusions can we come to of how they got there? And you may say, well, perhaps chance caused those four faces to come there. You know, we have this erosion and the wind and the rain, and there was probably water running over the edge and just happened to carve these faces that look familiar like these presidents, you know. You would never think that. You would look at that and you would say, okay, this obviously means that somebody designed this, right? I mean, it has all the evidence of design. There's forethought and planning, intention. And actually, Mount Rushmore is the brainchild of the sculptor John Gutzen Borglum, who designed and mapped out, and he had all these explosions and dynamite, and he had this whole crew working for 14 years designing everything, like the noses being 20 feet long and their eyeballs being 11 feet across. And all of this took forethought and planning and intention. And when you look at that, you would come across that and you would say, somebody designed and made that there. And the Bible says when we look at the world around us, it screams, somebody designed this, somebody thought of this, somebody came up with this. And even scientists who are honest would say, you look at all these forces of nature that everything has to be exactly right. The tilt of the earth on its axis and how far we are from the sun and gravity and, and all these forces, nuclear forces, and everything has to be perfect for life to exist. And if they're honest, intellectually honest, they would say, man, there, somebody had to, there had to be intelligent design behind this. And, and in my view, the ones who don't say that it's because they have a naturalist lens on. And they say, no, there has to be, there, there's nothing supernatural out there. So we have to come up with a natural explanation. And I want you to know, no, it's, 
it's very honest to say, well, everything seems to point towards there's a designer who created this. Francis Collins says this. He says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force. Don't have time to get into all of that tonight, you know, that have precise values. If any of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. Christian worldview believes in a God who created everything. He created us, which has huge implications, as we're going to see later, into things like we're not our own. We don't get to decide what we were created for. And we don't get to decide who we are and what our purpose is. We don't have authority over ourselves. Our creator does, and we're accountable to him. Massive implications going against postmodernism and so many thoughts out there. Just this one basic point, there is a God, and he created you. We're going to dive a lot more into that over this series. But naturalism, I want you to just know, naturalism denies these realities. And you need to see through this false worldview about where we came from. Secondly, second major worldview we disagree with when it comes to God is new spirituality. Also, some people call it new age spirituality. Now, what's interesting We've talked about this in my worldview class, is that on one side, you have naturalism, right? Where, where there's, there's no such thing as spirit, and naturalism believes in a world um, that's only material. New spirituality says, no, there is this whole spiritual world over here. There's this whole world that we can't see with our eyes, but we can access. But it's a whole spiritual world minus God. They don't believe in a God who's personal and who we can know and who has attributes that we can define and we can call him by name. So it sounds very spiritual, but it also lacks depth of any knowledge of God. And I found this clip from the movie Doctor Strange. Have you guys seen this movie? You've seen Doctor Strange from Marvel Universe. I want to show you this one clip because it captures both extremes of these worldviews in about one minute. So watch this. So when I start looking at you, when we take it and you're talking to me about healing through belief. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole, to see more, to know more. And now you're hearing that it can be widened in ways you can't imagine. You reject the possibility. No, I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter, nothing more than just another tiny, momentary speck within a different universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you, when you don't? But I see through you!
astral form and the physical form. Listen, that teeth. Psilocybin, LSD. Just here. With a little honey. I love that because I think it captures when he says he has the greatest definition of naturalism. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter and nothing more. Just a tiny momentary speck in an indifferent universe. And then the rest of that movie really, Doctor Strange, hate to ruin it for you, but it's all new spirituality. He, you know, I pushed your astro form out of your physical form and there's these energy forces and these energy fields and this whole spiritual side that's very mystical. The problem is over whole new spirituality, there's no God. And so we're going to get into this later too. But what happens in new spirituality is since there's a lack of God, a definable God in their view of the spiritual world, is basically what they believe is we all become a part of God. Here's one famous new spirituality author, Mahar Baba. He says, there's only one question. And once you know the answer to that question, there are no more to ask. Who am I? And to that question, there is only one answer. I am God. That's where new spirituality lands. Because what happens here is, is there's people who realize, no, naturalism, this can't be true. There's more to life than just being accidents and matter. And so they come over into this Hindu side, this new spirituality side. They, they say there must be something more. And they start believing in this, uh, this, this spiritual side, this universal force that everything belongs to and we are all a part of it. And basically we all become like God. Can anybody think of a movie that has a force in it that's in everything and is all around us and we can access it through meditation and special force. I'm going to ruin so many movies for you guys during this, this series. So watch this clip here. This, of course, is from Star Wars. Look at this. Breathe. Just breathe. Reach out feelings. Don't do that. <laughs> what is it? Blood. Blood. Death and decay defeats you. Warmth. Cold. Peace. Very new spirituality right there. It's a worldview where we want to connect to something bigger than ourselves, but we can't exactly figure out what it is. Energy, feelings, force. And, and people who buy into this say things like, you know, there's many ways to God. And they'll say things like, it doesn't matter what God you worship as long as you're sincere. And, you know, when you think through it, it doesn't make any sense. So you can sincerely worship a false god or a god that's not true. 
You know, they have coexist bumper stickers. And it reminded me of Acts chapter 17. Do you remember when Paul was going through the city of Athens and he's seeing all these statues to false idols? And there's even one that says, to an unknown God. And I love how Paul addresses it. Paul says, you know, to, to the God that you don't know, let me tell you who he is. You can know him. He created us and he assigned uh, boundary lines for where we are to live that we might seek him as God. Paul's telling them this, this God that you're reaching for that you don't know. I know him. Let me tell you about this God. The implications of new spirituality is people sound spiritual and deep, but it always ends at the same place, I've learned. We always end up looking inside of ourselves for meaning. That's what that's all about. It's all about accessing this spiritual realm inside of yourself. And I know that sounds silly, but there are thousands of Christians buying into this false worldview. And they're buying into it wholesale. There's pastors who are selling this. And it's all about you. And it's all about what's going on inside of you. I found this one um, poll by Barna that they did. I think we have it up here. It's like a graph we have up for you. Just talking about how Christians really aren't that different from the world around them. They're buying into this false worldview. The question, the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. 91% of U.S. adults, 76% of Christians said yes to that. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. 86% of adults, 72% of Christians. The highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. 84%, 66% of Christians. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. 79% of adults, 61% of Christians. And all of those looking within yourself, trying to find meaning within yourself, that is the effect of new spirituality. And this teaching is being pumped uh, through PBS and cartoons and celebrities and professional athletes and educators. is being sold and bought wholesale by Christians. It's even being Christianized by famous pastors who have thousands of people in their churches and they're just selling new spirituality and adding God and Christ in different sentences that are written by new spiritual gurus. And the message they often will say is, believe in yourself. When I hear that, man, that triggers something inside of me. No! And my kids know, man, if that ever came on anything, believe in yourselves. I was like kicking in the TV. No, that's the worst thing you can do, you know? Like, I don't even like myself. I don't want to believe in myself. That's a horrible way to think about it. Trust yourself. Believe in yourself. And Christians have taken that message and they've turned it into this health and prosperity gospel. And let me tell you, if everything is about you and what God can do for you, then your worldview has become man-centered and not God-centered. If you would say, you know, um, you, what you should say is, I exist for God's glory. God doesn't exist for my glory. And what new spirituality does is it twists those. And it makes it seem like God is a genie who's here to fulfill you, to make you happy. Now, when we worship God and we come to God and we recognize who he is, there's tons of joy. Psalms talks about it all the time. But God is not there to serve us. We are created 
to serve God. And new spirituality gets this backwards. And it becomes very man-centered. So I want you to see these false views of God, these worldviews have, that set us on a bad path, a wrong worldview. And there's two extremes. We talked about this in my worldview class. There's naturalism over here that doesn't believe in God. And then over here we have new spirituality, which is growing. Christians are buying into it, that believes in the spiritual world, but it can't define it. And it's very mystical about it. And it's accessing it through meditation and these other you know, forms of Hinduism and, and Buddhism. And as Christians... Man, we come to God's word, and it helps us just cut through all of that. I know this looks so goofy, but we put our glasses on of Scripture, and we hear these messages all around us, and we say, no, we believe in a God who can be known, because he's a God who is there And he's not silent. He's spoken to us. We talked about this last month. He's given us his word. He's told us all these things about himself to the naturalists. We say, no, this isn't coincidence. This isn't accident. This is the creator, God, who made us with purpose and intention that we would glorify him. And so the person over here who says there's all these paths and all these ways, you know, and it's about your feelings and accessing this other side, we say, no, The the word of God says, repent and turn from yourself. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can know this God. You can know things about him. It's not mystical. It's, It's truth that he's revealed to us through his word. He is a triune God who can be known. That's the first step in your worldview. There's a God who created us and you can know him. You can know who he is. You can pray to him. You can hear his voice through his word. You can be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Philip Ryken says this. He says, God is always our ultimate frame of reference. The supreme reality at the center of all reality. The be all and end all of everything. And when we talk about knowing God. It's not the God of the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita. It's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-sufficient. He alone is infinite, eternal, unchanging in his wisdom and power and holiness and goodness and justice and truth and love. He is perfect in every way. He is a holy God who has no evil, no sin. Darkness does not dwell with him. He is pure light and he created us in his image. And he is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means he exists in relationship from eternity past into eternity future. And he created us so that we might know him and glorify him. And through his Son, he invites us into his presence to know him. And it explains everything. When you read the Bible and you understand there's a God that made us and he's not silent and he he reveals himself to us, man, everything starts fitting together. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know why I exist. I know what my goal in life is to glorify God, to live my life for his glory, not my glory. And I know how I can come to him through repentance and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said that he believed in God as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's how I feel about knowing God. 
It's just like, it's like I know there's a sun because I see everything by its light. And I know there's a God because when I look around, everything makes sense because of God. You make sense. Why you're functioning, you know, your soul, your conscience, that we have something ingrained in us that knows right from wrong, these desires we have. All these things make sense because there is a God. And our first worldview question must always be, what does God say? Okay, if in the beginning God, then everything, okay, everything we see, everything we interpret, we have to ask the question, what does God say about that? It's not really up to me to decide. It's really up to God to tell me. So I have to ask the question, what does God say? It's a very important question when we come to postmodernism, which doesn't believe in, in any right or wrong or, or ethics. It's going to be important for us to say, what does God say about that? Because I'm with God. I'm with the Creator. I'm on his, I want what He says is what I want to believe. Okay, I'm with Him. And God has revealed Himself to us so that we might know Him. He's spoken to us through His Word, and He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. God has shown us how loving and merciful and gracious and compassionate he is towards us. He's told us, he's shown us the way of salvation, of how we can get right with him, of how we can be forgiven of our sin, of how we can know him. He's given us this promise that we will be with him for all eternity and we will see him face to face because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have a God-centered worldview and we have a gospel-centered worldview. Let me finish with one more quote from Philip Ryken. It's a good summary quote of this message. Philip Ryken says this. He says, Christianity is a God-given, Bible-based, Christ-centered worldview that gives us a coherent and comprehensive view of reality. It puts the glasses on. This worldview begins with the infinite, personal, triune God who is there and is not silent, who was living in love before anyone or anything else ever existed. This loving God has revealed himself in the world that he made, in the inspired word of the Bible, and in the incarnate word of his Son. All meaning and purpose, including our own meaning and purpose, are defined in relationship to him. Thus, the Christian worldview is not merely a set of propositions, but a perspective on life that flows out of our relationship with a personal God whose love writes our story. Listen, you can know God. You can have answers to your greatest questions that every worldview has to answer because God is there and he has spoken. Let's pray and then I'm going to have you some discussion questions to talk through as families. Lord, thank you for tonight. I thank you for the gift these teens are to us here tonight. Thank you that they're hearing about you, Lord, and about your gospel. And I pray for each one of them. I just look at the world around us, and it's like trees flying by and things changing so fast. And it can be so confusing. And so I pray for them through this series over the months and through this year that you would fill them with your spirit and with knowledge and truth and with faith 
in you, God. They would have a firm faith and they would stand on the rock of Jesus Christ that nothing in this world can shake out from underneath them, a strong foundation of Christ. So help them grow. I pray for the parents here tonight who are investing in these teens and equipping them and training them up in the way of godliness, that you would fill them with wisdom and knowledge as they answer their questions and help them grow. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have a couple of discussion questions for you as families to talk through. Um, if your parents aren't here, you can just grab another family around you or grab a member of our A-team that's here around the room. So three questions, about 10 minutes. What are some lies this world tells us that we need to be on guard against? How can we keep from being conformed to this world? Hint, look at Romans 12, 2, where we started. Number two, how can you grow to be more God-centered in your view of the world, in your daily life? And then finally, number three, are there any questions you have about God or the world that you want to learn about during this worldview series? Please tell Pastor Flukes. I would love to know them so that we can answer them. So 10 minutes, talk through this.